It's sort of crazy, you guys. I'm less than five months away from the publication of my new book, The Year of No Nonsense. And in celebration of that book that's coming out, I interviewed Chris Gethin. He is a total example of no nonsense and following your dreams and going after the life and body that you want. Any of you who are interested in bodybuilding or Ironman will find this interview super interesting. Chris is the founder of DTP Training Method, and he's written for bodybuilding.com. I actually think he was the CEO of bodybuilding.com or the editor-in-chief at some point. Um, And he's also the CEO of the supplement brand Caged Muscle. And he is just a top transformation specialist, Um, just a really fascinating individual with regard to his um, work ethic, philosophies on health, number one, nutrition, bodybuilding, and what he calls hybrid athleticism, which is really interesting for those of you who are endurance athletes and, and thinking of where strength training and the cross over with that kind of comes into play. So had a super time with Chris and I hope you all enjoy this episode with Chris Gethin. Welcome to the same 24 hours podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Chris Gethin. Hi, Chris. Hello, Meredith. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. This is take two. We had Wi-Fi connectivity issues, what, a week ago? (laughs) Yeah, we did, but we invited positivity into the universe and it's going to be good. That's right. That's right. Since we're on a one hour ish podcast, I mean, can we change our bodies in an hour? Because like, that's what the fitness culture is telling us. Yeah. (laughs) If you're talking about an hour, (laughs) if you're talking about an hour a day, yeah, (laughs) sure. One hour. No, definitely not. Unless some new peptide comes out in the next few years. Until then, no. No, right. So you have been living in the fitness industry for many, many years. And I know you've got some biohacks and and all of that. But what is it at the end of the day that creates the life and the body that you want? The life and the body that you want, it, well, it's definitely an obsession, uh, mm. you know, just like some people are obsessed with the grind where other people think that's unhealthy. You know, entrepreneurship is a big thing these days, and uh, a lot of people challenge others to work harder and work longer. But some people are obsessed with it, and they enjoy that, that drive. Other people don't, and it'll burn the candle at both ends. But I think you have some, you have to have some sort of enjoyment of that obsessiveness that you get out of it, you know, because I'm kind of obsessed with living a very long, healthy life because I see people around me as they get a little bit older and then, you know, they're uh, maybe regretting things that they did in their younger years because the decisions that you make when you're younger will catch up with you when you're older. But a lot of us don't think like that. So I think being obsessed to the consistency is the key. Doing stuff on days that you don't want to do it and everyone's playing outside when the sun is shining. Being at social gatherings and turning away that 
cheesecake and uh, you know the alcohol is going to be the key you know you've got to have balance and enjoy life uh, but i'm always trying to ch- you know challenge people not to over consume and over indulge in everything that we're marketing to these days because it is becoming a harder environment to navigate so where do you fall on the moderation spectrum? Because I am the type of person, like literally I went to Whole Foods with my daughter last night. I'm on a very specific meal plan. I have goals. And she got these little mochi ice creams. They're like tiny little ice creams wrapped in marshmallow garbage. And I let her have it. And she was like, do you want a bite? And I said, no. And then I said, yes, I want a bite. And I had a tiny bite. And the second I put it in my mouth, I swear my brain lit up and I opened the car door and I spit it out because I thought I'm going to have to drive back in there and eat a hundred of those things. Like there are just certain foods I believe I personally cannot moderate. I cannot handle it. I can't have it in my life. Yeah, well, with that ice cream and, uh, you know, the marshmallow a lot of the foods are engineered to create that bliss point that you experience in your brain. Luckily, you had the bliss point of regret, so you <laughs> spat it out. But a lot of people have that bliss point where they just want more and more because you don't find, for instance, like sugar and fats in nature that are combined together. You know, your body will likely either utilize the fat or your ketones as your energy source or your glycogen, i.e., like your sugar but not both together, but it lights up that bliss point in your brain, which creates, you know, that chemical reaction from your gut to your brain, which then turns into a larger path and then a motorway until you've created this neuro pathway of addiction. And that's what we're marketing through these days. And you just have to be conscious and aware. And I think it's fascinating. And the more people that would educate themselves on how the system is created to market towards us, to consume those sodas that have an ungodly amount of calories that don't even fill us up, um, is is very humbling. You know, it's just, just to understand what is happening to us, you know, and you have to kind of go outside your four walls to understand, uh, you know, that you are being preyed upon. So the more you acknowledge that and, you know, I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, I'm over, overly paranoid here and I don't want anyone to think that either. But it's good to be educated on these things to know what you should be putting in your mouth that can heal you or what you, you know, shouldn't be putting in your mouth that can harm you. Yeah. So where did you get your start in your obsession with, with health and fitness and, and excellence? Uh, well, it was uh, from originally when I, when I was in Wales, uh, you know, I was racing, racing motocross for quite a number of years. And uh, I dealt with a lot of injuries, namely a back problem that led to the end of my career. Um, and uh, then I started drinking alcohol, partying, doing drugs eating a lot of bad foods, putting on weight, making my asthma even worse than what it was, and which led to you know some depression there. But I was trying to get my adrenaline fix from somewhere else, I guess, and I couldn't get it from motocross anymore. And uh, then I started seeing various specialists because of my back issue that was getting worse because of the weight gain. And uh, it wasn't until I was actually told to start rehabbing through resistance training that I felt alleviated from the pain. I started getting endorphin rush from actually working out. I started to feel better because subconsciously I started to eat better to help 
with my resistance training, which just, you know, it just come full circle. I felt like a different person. So I started, you know, decided I wanted to study this a little bit more, see how it was affecting me. And uh, when I started reading all this content, I found that I was able to retain it, which I didn't in school. I hated school. I didn't retain anything. <laughs> I didn't want to be a scientist. I didn't want to learn about religious education. I wasn't going to be a priest anytime soon. Um, so when I started learning about health, fitness, uh, how it was increasing my confidence, I decided to go to college. And I studied it for several years, which gave me international qualifications, which took me away from Wales in the late 90s. And I just uh, haven't turned back. I do go back to Wales, though. So I do turn <laughs> back every night. Just don't turn back to that previous lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you get your, like, how did you go from, you know, learning about fitness and getting educated in it and then to bodybuilding? Was it just a natural uh, progression? So, yeah, well, within the, because I like competing. I've competed in something almost every year since I was about six years old. And um, I decided to give myself the accountability when I started resistance training. I thought, okay, I need accountability. I need to compete. I'll do a bodybuilding show. So uh, one and a half years after uh, picking up a weight, I competed in my first bodybuilding show. I had no idea there was such a thing as tested and untested shows. Mm. Be, be in, Explain what that means. Explain what that means. Okay, so in a couple of federations – i.e. like the NPC or IFBBB, those are untested bodybuilders. You know, I don't frown upon them. They're, you know, a lot of them are my best friends. Um, but it just wasn't for me. Uh, you know, those people could be competing anywhere between 230 pounds to 300 pounds, uh, where myself, I'd be competing at about 186 pounds at my heaviest. You know, so it was a, you know, a different sport, basically. Right. And for so the lay person, up, like the lay person who doesn't know, untested for performance enhancing drugs and steroids. Yes. Performance drugs. Yes, steroids. Yeah. So they had, they did try testing in a couple of the shows. Um, a few people uh, failed. A lot of people look bad and they just, they just stopped doing it again, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they do is mark down if anybody has any obvious enhancement of particular body parts or anything like that so uh, then you have the tested shows that I always used to compete in following that first one where you do have polygraph tests you have urine tests you have various forms of tests that can be dependent on the federation that you compete in is uh, very very strict but at least then you know okay I'm on a bicycle and I'm not race uh, racing against motorcycles here you know, it's all the <laughs> right. same you know, if you're on a motorcycle, I'm fine with that. Just compete with people that are on motorcycles. Um, yeah, so I showed up at that first show. Uh, I was definitely the smallest, but I got very, very lean, got second, and uh, then decided to continue competing. But I was competing in different countries then because with my qualifications, I went and worked as a massage therapist and a personal trainer on cruise liners out of Fort Lauderdale. And then after uh, that, I moved to Australia for a while as personal training there until I was able to afford myself a gym. Whilst I was at that gym, I started learning about writing and journalism. So I started writing for bodybuilding and fitness magazines, which then took me to Venice, California, uh, which I took that up as a full-time job for Weeder Publications. And uh, But during this time, I still kept competing uh, I represented Australia in the Natural World Championships. I got second 
as my highest placing in that event. And then a year later in 2009, I competed in the Idaho uh, State Championships. I won that and then hung up the trunks, so to speak, uh, <laughs> because I never really enjoyed bodybuilding. I liked the accountability. I didn't like being tanned up. I definitely didn't like being on stage in front of a lot of people in my posing pants. Uh, but I love to train, so I just continue using the platforms that we have available to us now of social networking, podcasts like this, uh, to spread the word and put out content that I wish somebody was able to put out for me when I was growing up, as opposed to just looking at a before and after picture of a magazine with a supplement and saying, okay, I'll take that if I want to look like that. Right, right. It's, you know, for years growing up, like I, it was hard to find anything about bodybuilding, um, just to understand what the, the meals were, like, what were people eating? And so, yeah, I think it's wonderful that you've put that out there. And, And I subscribe to your newsletter, which is super helpful. Um, I've subscribed to a bunch of newsletters that I unsubscribe to within four days and yours I'm still reading. So that is (laughs) a big testament because I, I get really tired of them quick. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, the, the, the available platforms that we have to us today, obviously when I was a kid, you know, I didn't even have a cell phone until I moved out of the country, out of, uh, you know, uh, Wales. Uh, so now what we have available to us is fantastic. You know, it can either, be a hindrance or a help, you know, the social networking, but I try to use it as a help and just always think, you know, I've been given this platform, I'm very humbled by it, so whatever I can do to spread the word and earn my residency on this earth, I'll do. (laughs) So what are some of the misconceptions about bodybuilding? I mean, everyone has their own ideas about what it is, but from you being in the tested portion of it, maybe you can give kind of shed some light for someone who's not really familiar with it. Um, kind of, sure. yeah, just, just kind of talk about it. Cause it's a really fascinating sport. Yeah. So then we, we, yeah, of course we have the sport side of things where you do something completely different on the day of an event than what you practiced all year, basically. So within the gym, we're bench pressing, we're squatting, we're hitting bicep curls, But then on the day of a bodybuilding show where you've dieted down to show the definition and the separation and the density of your muscle tissue, you're not lifting anything. You're actually hitting a bicep pose. You're hitting a lat spread. You know, you're you're squeezing your quads or your hamstrings and you're put through various mandatory poses by yourself. And then you have the comparisons with other bodybuilders so they can see what your weak points are. I've actually been a judge within several bodybuilding shows, and you generally don't look at what that competitor has. You look at what they don't have. So it's essential that you don't have any weaknesses. You know, you know you've got to make sure that you work not only your mirror muscles, the muscles that you see in the mirror, but your hamstrings, your glutes, your calves, and you need to know how to show your physique. So you obviously have a posing round as well where for about a minute – You'll have music playing and you've got to pose, hopefully gracefully, uh, to that music. And, uh, you know, so you may have been dieted down for 12 or 18 weeks for this show. However, you're only on stage for like five minutes and that will determine, you know, where you are placed and whether you come back and come back better or you, uh, you know, hang up the trunks. (laughs) I always wonder how you can tell what you're looking at in that short period of time. Cause I have a lot of accounts I follow on Instagram and they'll 
you know, posts from shows and they're like, look at this. And I'm like, I don't see anything. They all look great. Like, how can you, what are you, like, as a judge, what are you looking at? What do you well, zero number, in on to, first? Yeah. Well, number one, it's got to be balanced. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure that your delts, for instance, aren't overly, um, you know, overly, isn't an overly strong body part compared to, say, your pecs, you know, because that's not going to be balanced. So you want to make sure that you have a good balance between your delts, your biceps, your triceps, your pecs. If you have weaknesses and these are just a couple of obvious um, strengths, you're not going to have the balance. So that's going to be one round that the judges are looking upon. Then not only do you have to have balance, so, you know, a beach body could have balance. You have to have muscularity, much like a bodybuilder. So big upper pecs, big lower pecs, inner and outer pecs must be defined and uh, separated as well. You know, much like your rear delts to your front delts. You know, there has to be a large muscularity there. And uh, then you, again, like I said, you have to know how to pose the physique because a lot of people will hit what's called like a side chest, but they concave their chest and are not able to actually display what they've got, you know, which is from a judge's perspective, you know, that that's a, a... that's such a steal and such a loss when you see someone walk on stage and go, wow, this person's got it. But then they start posing against other people who know how to pose, even though they may have the better physique. You know, they get marked down and they come second or third or, or whatever it may be. So that's pretty much what judges are usually looking for. Obviously, you have to, you're, you're under bright lights on the stage. So when you see these bodybuilders with a weird dark bronze tan, The reason being is because under the bright lights, uh, you're going to look very washed out and very pale if you don't have this fake tan on. And that tan will help show the definition and the separation of the muscle groups that you're uh, posing on stage. So you'd be judging the tan that they've got that makes sure it's not too dark, it's not too light, it's not blotchy, it's not running, etc., etc. And uh, yeah, that's about it from a competitive standpoint. But the way that I look at bodybuilding now is uh, I look at, you know, it's building your confidence. It's building your energy. It's building your bone density. It's building your confidence. That's how I look at bodybuilding. Those are the, all the attributes that I've got out of it. And being disciplined as well because if you're disciplined at waking up early in the morning to hit your cardio, to make sure that you have your meals on time and it's meal frequency and it's only clean meals and there's no cheats in there it prevent it pre it creates a lot of discipline into other aspects of your life not to the extent that it's militant but you know you're more disciplined with your financials you're disciplined within your relationships you know and uh, you know where for some people life could be a white knuckle ride you know whether it means drink or alcohol or laziness procrastination it really does have a positive effect on a lot of these areas. And when I work with clients, yeah, of course, I love seeing the transformations from them physically, but I love seeing the lifestyle changes uh, that happen with that and how it can influence other friends and colleagues and family members. So that's how I look at bodybuilding. It's not just a meathead sport. Right, right. Around with gallon jugs. 
Yeah, I started working on bodybuilding last December when I realized I'm turning 40 this coming year, and I realized that I've been carrying around a belief my entire life that I was always going to be slightly fat and that I just was the story of my life and it was who I was. And despite doing four Ironmans and, and you know, playing basketball and being a successful Olympic weightlifter back in the day, all these things, I was still had this belief that my body could not be transformed. And so I decided last December that I was going to break that myth in my own head once and for all. And so I'm about seven and a half months into eating and training like a bodybuilder. And what you say about it spilling over into other areas of your life is so true because we moved across the country and it was like my third week of um, trying this new meal plan and it was very specific and it was every three hours and there were six meals and I had to drive myself from Kansas City to Massachusetts with a bearded dragon lizard and all sorts of stuff and figure out how to eat these meals. And I thought, this is impossible. Like, how am I going to do this? And I mean, you'd think I was trying to, you know, solve world hunger here, but I managed to do all of my meals without any cheats, without any excuses, all the way on the drive. And then when we were in the hotel waiting on the moving truck, I just did it. I didn't make any excuses. I just did this hard thing. And when I look back, I'm like, that really wasn't that hard. But at the time where my mind was, it was like the hardest thing ever. Um, But it made me realize that I can not only do this path to changing my body, but use it as a tool for saying, I can really make anything work if I just figure out a way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you're moving across the country, you know when it's you're kind of bored yeah, then looking into nothingness, you generally want a snack. You know, when you're on a plane, it's like all of a sudden you just want a snack. Mm-hmm. So that's you know one of the reasons why it's going to be a little bit harder when your brain is just focusing out on the road in front of you. You like to have some form of distraction. You know, maybe you know like when people go to the movies, they like to chew on popcorn and things like that. So I think that's probably one of your older past reactions, yes. maybe coming to vision. Yeah. Uh, there you know but you know it, it's crazy isn't it you'd think like you said competing in Ironman events then you would have create you know you would have thought okay well maybe I'm just going to get shredded from doing this but when you plug yourself into that social pipeline you look at their diets and it's not the cleanest of diets you've ever seen there's a lot of you know after the uh, the bride will go for a couple of beers we'll have pizza you know when you go to the Ironman uh, athlete tent after you finish there's pizzas, there's cooked soda. It's not the healthiest of environments where if you learn that from a bodybuilding background and take it into other events and other sporting endeavors, you can really have a positive effect. Right, right. Like I eat so much better now. I used to do 100-mile rides and then go to Burger King. <laughs> I would never do that now. Like if I went no. to go train for Ironman now, it would be so different, which yeah. is a great segue into your story because you made that – transition yeah yeah for sure I like and I love that transition you know it, to be what is you know I term it as a hybrid athlete to participate in weight training but then go well you know what I'm going to go out for an 8 or 12 mile uh, uh, run in the trails tonight or like you said go for an 80 or 100 mile bike ride it's phenomenal it's awesome it feels good 
Number one, because a lot of people says that it can't be done because people in the bodybuilding industry feel that you shouldn't do anything after your weight training session. You should consume the calories, then store those calories and utilize those calories for your next training session because they think that you're going to wither away by doing cardio, which is not the truth. I've been doing cardio a couple of times a day for as many years as I can remember because it's very therapeutic and the heart is the most uh, beneficial muscle that we've got. It's not our delts or pecs that's going to take us to 100 years old. It's going to be the heart, and it should be worked. And uh, you know, the reason why I went and did an Ironman to, was to prove to people within my industry, look, I'm going to do something completely extreme to show you that cardio isn't bad. So a couple of years ago, I decided to do that Ironman with six months of training. So I participated in an Olympic distance triathlon after three months of training, a half Ironman uh, after four months of training, then a full Ironman after six months of training and uh, did tests within the lab to show what my muscle density was. I did obviously the FTP, lactate threshold, DEXA scan, etc. Then did it again six months later and I actually put on muscle However, the caveat was I didn't train or eat or supplement like a triathlete or an endurance athlete. I ate and supplemented like a bodybuilder. Ah, interesting. <laughs> actually, because so you did I was, the chicken and rice and then rode your bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but like when I was out riding the bike, I made sure that in a couple of my bottles that I had protein powder and I had carbohydrates in there. And my fiance is amazing at making these energy balls with, uh, you know, uh, like Dave Scott loved to have dates when he was competing. So we'd have dates blended with oats and nuts and some protein powder and they'd be bound together and I'd just consume them while I was riding as well. But on my training sessions, I'd have a backpack of food. And of course, being at a heavier body weight, you'd put through a lot of watts and you'd burn through a lot of calories. So I had to have those calories on hand to ensure that I didn't wither away because I was weight training. But I was very conscious that I didn't do high volume weight training, which I'd usually do. I brought my volume right down. And I do a lot of high-intensity interval uh, training during a week. So a lot of like hill sprints, uh, shorter sessions usually uh, during the week. But then I'd uh, go long and steady on the weekend because obviously you need time in the saddle. You need time, uh, you know, getting used to being on your feet for quite a number of miles. So I'd use those quote-unquote recovery days to be comfortable getting uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So did you, how far mileage wise did you go up um, like in your run and, and your bike? I know a lot, it just varies, obviously people in, in, in the endurance community, it varies anyway, but did you go lower than maybe perhaps just a straight endurance athlete might've done? I would, I would do uh, lower much more often. However, I did go up on the weekends. I did a couple of century rides. Mm-hmm. If I did a century ride, that would be very flat. Uh, but there's a, a loop around here uh, that, you know, there's uh, people around here in Boise would know it. It's called the dump loop. And there's one that goes out to Emmett and Horseshoe Bend. And that'd be about 80 miles, but it was very, very hilly. And knowing that, the ride, uh, the sorry, the Ironman that I was getting ready for at that time was a very hilly course. 
I was doing that more often than not. And with my run, I was doing everything in the trails. I just find this a lot easier on my joints. It's more forgiving. And uh, if I do anything on a treadmill, I do it on a curved treadmill. But my longest run was 18 miles uh, because I was uh, preparing for an ultra marathon that was happening uh, shortly after that as well. So I wanted to ensure that I was getting my mileage up there. And that had quite a bit of elevation in it as well. But it's enjoyable. You know, you put your headphones on or an audio book. Sometimes I wouldn't have anything. And being in the beautiful mountains here in Boise uh, was awesome. I'm not a team player. I've always liked to compete in individual sports. So to have, you know, some time to myself and my thoughts uh, was perfect. I'd call it like active meditation. Mm -hmm. So which Ironman did you do? Uh, the first uh, two I did, the half Ironman and the four was at quarter lane. Okay, that was my first. Oh, really? That's a beast. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I love it. And I actually went there uh, last weekend uh, to watch it. The oh, first time I half. watched an Ironman because I happened to be up there for a friend, a friend's 70th birthday. That was on the same weekend. So it was great. Loved that. And then I, last year I competed in the Tempe uh, a, a half Ironman. And I thought because it's a lot flatter, it would be a lot quicker but it wasn't because uh, you know you've get, there's a lot of turns there, so many corners, mm -hmm. on a bike. It's unbelievable. So you're always slowing down and then you know standing up to push on the pedals. So it was as if it was a hilly course, really, and uh, you don't really get a rest. You right. know, you're off on the pedals there. So I actually preferred quarter lane. I know. I think so. I did three reasonably hilly ones, and then I did a flat one in North Carolina, and. Um, I'm a heavier athlete, and so I always had the benefit of being like a rocket going downhill, and yeah. I didn't have that same benefit on a flat course. <laughs> I'm with you 100%. As a, yeah, because everybody that would pass me on the hills going up, I'd pass them on the way right. down using my weight <laughs> to the advantage. So it's, some, it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes you're overtaken and being passed by the same person for the entire course. Yes, and it drives them crazy, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I, I'm climbing as hard as I can, but I can't help how fast I go down. So, what you, which year did you do Cordelaine? Was it the one that was super hot? Uh yes, yeah, super hot. So that was two years ago. Um, wow, that was the last time that they had the full Iron Man there, unfortunately. And I the heard a rumor it's coming back. Oh really? I, oh, heard, I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like it was. I heard 2021. Oh, really? I hadn't heard anything, didn't hear anything when I was up there anyway, but I'll definitely look that up. Yeah, I might be making it up. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to go back there and do it again. It's, I really like that place. And uh, the 70.3 that I did there in 2017 was extremely hot as well. Not as bad this year. So your, your term hybrid athleticism, explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so, um, you know, like I said, I, I participate in a few various sports. You know, I like to do things like, uh, you know, heli boarding or, you know, uh, uh, obstacle course race or endurance um, uh, ultra marathon and Ironman. But I, you know, my pivotal foot is in bodybuilding. And uh, so I like to participate in various things. You know, if you look at like a lot of CrossFitters and the CrossFit events, they have to swim, they have to bike, they have to lift heavy, they have to walk on their hands. I think they're the perfect um, pedestal 
to put up there as a hybrid athlete. You know, so participating in various things where you're using your heart and lungs, your anaerobic and your aerobic systems uh, to, to compete in various events. Well, it doesn't have to even be competing. But I call that complete hybrid athleticism. It isn't singled into endurance or strength or bodybuilding. It's a, it's a combination and a hybrid of all. So what do you say to someone who perhaps is a new client of yours and they come to you and they want to change their life? They want to lose weight, get fitter, um, but they say they just have trouble with motivation. Motivation, I say don't rely on motivation. I actually did a video on this last week where I, I was actually in the gym and I was hitting legs and uh, I just wasn't feeling it, you know, mentally. Um, and what I would tell myself whenever I got to like the third set, I remember I was on the third set of leg press. I was thinking, well, that's enough of that right now. So I recognized that weakness, that excuse, that doubt in my brain. And I said, well, you know what? Because you've thought that. I'm going to do an extra set, now I'm going to make it a drop set. So that drop set meaning I had a lot of plates on the leg press, so every time I completed the amount of reps that I could do to absolute failure, my fiancé took off one plate from each side, and then I completed however many reps I could possibly do to failure again. And I continued that until I had one plate on each side. So, you know, needless to say, for the next four or five days, I could barely walk because it continued like that throughout the workouts as I had these excuses. And that's motivation. Motivation will fail you. You know, sometimes you wake up, you're emotional for no reason, or you've had an argument, you've heard some bad news, you'll emotionally eat, or you're now down in motivation. Motivation will fail you. So that's why I always tell people to practice discipline. Discipline is what's going to carry you through. Discipline is what carried me through that workout when I wasn't feeling it. Discipline is what's going to get you up in the morning when you don't feel like doing it or getting up early. So discipline is, is the perfect entity. So I practice discipline every day. I don't have warm showers. I only have cold showers because that's a form of discipline. I'm doing something that I don't want. Uh, you know, I'll never hit the snooze button. I'll get up early and I won't sleep in even if I'm tired because it's doing something that I don't want to do. So I practice a lot of these things. If it's snowing outside or if it's raining, I'll probably lace up and go for a run. You know, skin is waterproof. But unfortunately, you know, we're in an environment uh, where we are becoming very easy to kill, I like to put it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you practice these disciplines every single day, no matter how small it is, you know, figure out what your weakness is, acknowledge it, maybe write it down, and then figure out what that discipline is for you to overcome it. And it transcends into so many other areas of your life. So that could be I'm not, dis I'm not motivated to go to the gym, but you're going to be disciplined to get up and go to the gym and participate in your activity, whatever that is. So, uh, you know, that's what I usually tell people, uh, you know, because a lot of people focus on motivation, right. but motivation comes and goes. It's like a blood sugar spike. It go up and goes down. Right, right. So what do you think causes people to give up, like on their life when they just have let it all go? What causes people to, to do that? And then what can they do? Like, what is the first step to turn it around? 
Okay. Well, I think a lot of people need to recognize that they're not immortal. A lot of people walk around thinking that these days of health and vitality and movement are going to last forever. But if you if you you know go to a retirement home and you speak to people there, a lot of the regrets that uh, elderly people have is that they maybe didn't get out as much, have as much adventure, but didn't look after their life. And whatever we do will catch up. It will catch up. It's not going to escape us. So if you're thinking about you know if you're trapped where you're eating fast food, you're snacking, you're eating croissants, whatever that vice is, it's going to catch up on you. And I think the more that you study uh, like longevity or uh, blue zones or anything like that, it helps you understand that the path that you're leading may not be the best one. And if you have people that you can be accountable to, uh, you know, whether that be co-workers, and now we have the amazing social networks, online that causes you know that, that that accountability that's a good thing but i think transparency is needed as well so when people have a goal i tell people let your friends know put it online right it's right accountability i know somebody who said they wanted to give up smoking so they got a load of business cards made and they sent them out to all their friends and family and co-workers because they were putting their accountability on the line when i was working at bodybuilding.com as the editor-in-chief there some years ago, I remember the founder, Ryan DeLuca, sending out an email saying, I am never going to eat red meat ever again. And he hasn't eaten any red meat since then. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously that accountability, because if he was seen uh, eating red meat, then that's going to put his sincerity and authenticity on the line. And a lot of people don't like that. They don't want to be exposed. So I think that can really, really help people uh, to, to remain motivated. And you know, like I said, just understand what is in food. So I post on my Instagram quite often what is in a Wendy's freeze drink, what is in tomato ketchup here in the U.S. compared to the U.K., what's in Quaker oats, flavored Quaker oats in the U.S. compared to Europe, for instance. So when people see in the U.S., wow. You know, I'm basically causing a, an act of terrorism on my body. How does mm. people understand what they're putting into their system is definitely harming them? You know, I'm, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but if we look at the increase of cancer, diabetes, obesity, uh, forms of uh, dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, I don't think it's of any coincidence. A lot of it is environmental, and we just need to acknowledge that and, uh, you know, don't... Uh, you know, trying not to lead, lead a life where uh, we're assuming it's something else. It's definitely not our DNA. Yeah. And I back to that accountability thing. That's that's such a huge thing. Um, when I I'm three and a half years sober and when I decided to quit drinking, I, I think it was about 10 weeks sober. And I was like, I have to tell someone or I'm going to start drinking again. And so like I got on my blog and I blasted it out to my 30,000 people and, and told everyone like, look, I had a drinking problem. I'm sober and I'm never going to drink again. And then out of that, like we created a sobriety group and it, it became this big thing. But by telling people, it was a way of me saying, I want to change and I need help for you guys knowing that I need to change. And it was a big thing. Yeah, that's powerful. So yeah. were you, when you uh, led that out to your blog, were you were like in the fitness space then? So people were looking to you for advice, but then yeah. 
you kind of that's good that's a very yeah. powerful yeah I, I had done my four Ironmans by then I had um, written my first triathlon book it came out years before that and I did all of my Ironmans as a drinker and it was kind of this I mean I never made a secret that I drank but um, the extent to which I did and the dependency was probably a secret to anyone outside of my circle. Um, so when I kind of came forward with that, yeah, I mean, it, it could have been sort of a recipe for embarrassment and stigma and all of that, but I didn't care at the time. And, and plus now the more I know, the more we hide all this stuff, the worse it's going to be like everyone should be talking about it. Yeah, that's very powerful. And I totally commend you. And appreciate you doing that because you help so many people, you know, if when you expose yourself of what you are, you know, a lot of people, like you said, especially in the days of uh, Instagram and hashtag filters, people hide behind a lot of things and try to be something that they're not just to get more followers or more likes. But that's not really helping the people that you're trying to uh, assist. But when you're transparent like that, it really does help a lot of other people because if they're in that boat and they find somebody that they look up to can you know, be transparent, then hopefully it's going to uh, help them uh, go to someone for help and be transparent with their issues themselves, whether it be drinking, whether it be drugs or whatever it may be. I think Aubrey, it is Aubrey Marcus yeah. uh, just came out recently and said that he's been addicted to sleeping pills. I think it was sleeping pills for the last year and a half. Uh, which is again is very very powerful for him to come out as a you know a, a founder and CEO of a health supplement company to expose his addiction. It's very powerful. I think you know a lot of people should come out over things like that to help others. Yeah, and I think a lot of people underestimate how addiction can spread across genres. Right? You know, it can be doesn't have to be drugs and alcohol it can be anything I mean anything you're doing to excess that negatively impacts your health and so even talking about the booze like I have has made people say you know I'm, I'm I've got issues with x y and z and it's just bringing to light that we're all human and we all have tendencies that, to do less than desirable things for our health and so yeah it's been it's been really eye-opening um not only to, you know, help people, but to realize when I s raised my hands and said, I surrender, I give up, that there were so many people that were like, me too. I've been there right. and here I am. And, and so it's, it's cool that way for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It is good. So, uh, all praise to you. Oh, thanks. So what are some fitness, I know you got a lot of these, but um, some things that kind of crawl under your skin and make you crazy in the fitness and nutrition space. Like what are, what are some myths that you keep hearing um, that just keep popping up and, and you want to just shut them down? Okay. I'd say the number one that comes up to the top of that list is like, yeah, um, if it fits your macros diet. So uh, let's say your you know your basal metabolic rate will allow you to have two thousand calories in a day. You're not going to put on weight. You're not going to lose body fat. But there's a, a group of people that say, well, if it fits your macros, then you're still going to reach your goals. So you'll have a lot of fitness experts online showing maybe they're fasting all day. But now they're going to consume those 2,000 calories in one or two sittings, and it's in a form of pizza and burgers and cheesecake and uh, in pretty good shape. 
But, you know, what that people fail to understand, yeah, they may have abs, maybe, you know, they've got some definition, but, you know, what is that doing to their insides? You know, what are all those artificial, you know, ingredients, those preservatives, those high fructose corn syrup, et cetera, in high amounts doing to that person's system? But there's a lot of fitness influencers that have millions of followers that are influencing a lot of people to do the same thing. And of course, you can do fasting. I do intermittent fasting myself. But when I break my fast, I have my raw vegetables and I have my cooked vegetables to make sure that I get all my micronutrients. Then I'll have my form of protein. And then maybe I'll have a healthy fat or I'll have a you know complex carbohydrates. I'm not filling myself up with loads of artificial cheeses and you know, lots of high fat red meats and uh, vegetable oils and I, you know I could go on but I think that is the biggest thing because a lot of people fall into that bandwagon because of course if you see someone like me suggesting have your chicken and rice or fish and quinoa <laughs> then you have someone else saying well have your burgers and pizzas and look like me of course a lot of people are going to go for the justification of that easy way out and it's definitely not the right way uh, so that's the one thing that really crawls yeah. under my skin you see people eating all these gummies and you know, <laughs> sugars and all this out of you know these blue dyes and yellow fives and all that sort of stuff it's, it's, it's not good and it makes my skin crawl because we're in not only the fitness industry but we're in the health and fitness industry but uh, that, that those foods don't support that Right. And it's basically just condoning bad behavior. It's like you flock to someone who's going to tell you it's okay to eat and behave badly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not really into that. And the other thing, oh, this is the first time I've actually spoken about this, is uh, the, I think it's called the body confidence uh, craze that's out there. Oh, thank you. Yes, let's talk about this. <laughs> well, I won't go too deep. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I've been shown this. Uh, more so by my fiance. I, I don't really scroll through a lot of other people's Instagrams, but uh, and where she showed me some, you know, high level celebs. I don't even remember their names. Where they're showing how it's it's okay to be overweight, and I'm not just talking a little bit overweight. I'm talking obese. And I just think of all the people and the clients that I've helped that are obese and struggling with that obesity. And I'm really trying to help them as I'm, as I'm sure there's thousands and thousands of other personal trainers working with people and other people without trainers that are struggling. And they really want to find that way out because they live in shame or, you know, depression and you know, anxiety and guilt. And we want to bring them out of that. But then they see a, a celebrity that they look up to who's, you know, clearly obese, but maybe in a swimsuit and saying, well, it's great. It's awesome. You know, em empower your body and be proud of it. I'm not all about that, to be honest with you. And I'm not talking about this from a physicality standpoint or a vanity standpoint. I'm talking about the health, not only the physical health, but the mental health of that end individual. So as soon as that person sees that celebrity showing this body confidence and they turn that around and use that as a justification to get off their diet or their exercise program and now go back to the way they were 
and maybe they feel good for a short amount of time. But what happens when that celebrity goes or what happens when they don't look up to that person or what happens when they have a health implication and now they're living in regret and there's nothing that they can do to reverse those issues. Uh, that's what I have a problem. You know, I think, okay, there can be a balance with it, but I think it's going a little bit overboard from what I've seen. Maybe I haven't seen the whole picture, but uh, I'm just thought I would share that with you as another thing. Yeah. That no, this is such a touchy subject because, I mean, obviously it's personal for everyone, but yeah, there's there's this pressure and people are assuming that the desire to be fitter or smaller or more muscular, thinner, whatever, is coming from a society pressure. And you can't discount the fact that it it is to a degree. Um, you know, there's ideal ways of looking and media and culture wants you to be thin and fit and all that. But from someone who sits on the other side of the microphone who has struggled with weight and obesity at points in my life and who's really trying desperately clawing to get a handle on it in health, I can say that I don't buy into any of the idea that people that are substantially overweight are happy being so because I've lived it and it's not been outside culture telling me it's the fact that when I sit on an airplane seat, I'm miserable or the fact I can't run up hills in shorts. And it's it's this whole body feeling that I want better. And so I agree with you. Um, it, I think where it gets complicated is when we're telling people you're not okay because they're obese. You know what I mean? And and maybe they do want to change or maybe they don't and that's their business. But that's where it gets all complicated because it's marginalizing, you know, a group of humans, which we don't want to do. And, and so it's tricky. But I, I hate the idea of just the give up culture that, that, that kind of undertows all this, I guess. Yeah, that, that I couldn't agree more. Like you said, it, it is a give up culture to a certain degree. And we're generalizing. It's not for everybody. But from the people that I've worked with, I could see it. You know, I, I just know that it's just a, a bad indication for them to kind of give up. And what happens, for instance, if that person that they're looking up to that is steered in this direction all of a sudden decides that, because of a medical issue, possibly, that they have to lose weight. But this person who has been following them has maybe since put on another 30, 40, 50, 100 pounds. You know, I, I think people should, shouldn't even look to others to compare themselves to. Like you said, society puts us in, in, in a direction where we should be in some type of shape. But, you know, you, you have to just go on your own path. Like, I'm not going to look to other fitness influencers that have tiny, small, waspy waists because I'll never have that. I'm never going to be mm. tall, dark and handsome. I'm five foot eight, short, stocky and Welsh. You know, so <laughs> I'll be five percent That's better. the new tall, dark and handsome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I can go to bed and say, you know what, I, I succeeded at something today or I, I got 1% better than what I did yesterday. And, you know, we're always going to be trying to figure it out. We're always going to be trying to evolve. Um, so if you can do that, that's going to give you the purpose to continue on as opposed to look to someone else to compare yourself to or give that justification to follow the if it fits your macros diet or to go for the body confidence aspect where it could lead down to a road that you wish that you didn't go down. 
Right, exactly. I mean, it's about being the best version of yourself, truly, because I'm never going to look like certain people. I had two babies. I got up to 280 pounds. This stomach is a mess. Like, I can get down to all the fat in the world and there, it's just going to be a war zone <laughs> because it has been stretched and deflated. And and I'm not looking to look like the girls that are 25 and didn't have, you know, two kids and gain 100 pounds. But the idea that we can't be better and want more, um, like, for example, I did all my Ironmans weighing over 200 pounds as a female. And that is super hard to do, by the way. Like... I wouldn't do that again to to save my life. It was so hard to train and do Ironman at that weight. And a lot of people have given me re- a really hard time now that I'm trying to do like just bodybuilding training and to get this body fat off of me to make myself smash through a core belief that I can't, you know, and people have negatively reacted because I was this pillar in the triathlon community that says you can do triathlon at any size. And I believe that, but it doesn't make it easy. And it certainly doesn't make it as fun as it could be. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know why people would pull you down for that. Obviously we change, we evolve what we knew last year. It may be dated to what we um, knew this year. And we're not the same people as what we were 20 years ago. We always change. We want to be better. We want to explore more. You know, that's like saying, well, you explored the U.S. and now I'm going to look down upon you because now you're exploring Europe. You know, you know a- people do, Chris. You know yeah. people don't like when you change. Yeah, exactly. And you know, yeah. funny sometimes people say, "Wow, you changed." I'm like, "Thank you. I hope so. I don't want right. to be." You know, I could get by on a desert island. I'm not on a desert island. I want to move forward. Right. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting when you kind of change your direction and you change your platform. And I know you have over the years just changed your mind. And when you just take a stance, you're closer to your truth. But so- sometimes it just makes other people uncomfortable. But you can't keep up trying to make everyone happy. <laughs> exactly. Just focus on yourself. I always say, you know, look after number one. And then when you do, you're going to be able to be a better person to be around. You're going to be able to give more of yourself. You know, you're, you're going to feel better. So uh, a lot of people that we know that are so loving, that give so much of themselves, sometimes are left with very little for themselves. And, uh, you know, then it's, it's them that needs the help. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you so much. I have one more question for you. Um, this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, meaning that we're all given the same 24 hours in our day, but it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So I like to ask my guest, what is one thing that you do on a daily basis that you can kind of point to that grounds you and, and helps you make sure you're leading your best life? Meditation, meditation. Uh, yeah, so yeah. being present, uh, taking time for yourself in the morning. Don't reach for the phone the second that you wake up. That could create anxiety that would lead to problems with sleeping that night, would you believe? So I think, mm-hmm. you know, you know, meditate. But, you know, when you ask a lot of people if they meditate, they say no. But if you ask have they meditated, everyone puts their hands up. It's hard. It's difficult. Just like going to the gym, you may not see any results for quite a number of months. Just like if you want to build a business, maybe it takes a couple of years. You just have to keep at it until that you feel that you're in more of a present state of, of flow, so to speak. So meditation is the one thing where you can give gratitude. 
you can try to you know you can try to clear everything out of your mind if you want but that's likely not going to happen but just have thoughts and time to yourself in the in the morning and uh, you know try to control those cortisol spikes and uh, be a little bit more present awesome well thank you chris well thank you meredith i really appreciate this talk and uh, can't wait for this to come out mm-hmm.